Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Uh, do you know what we should do? We should just take a minute to pray for the families in Creaselock and County Donegal this morning uh, because that's, um, you know, a, a terrible, terrible tragedy. And just as the details start to come out, children, families, uh, a wee girl of five with her dad going to buy her mommy a birthday cake and both of them didn't make it. And uh, as we gather here this morning, as we pray, then, you know, right, like God is moving. As soon as the people of God join together to pray, he brings comfort and hope. So can we do that? Okay, Father, we want to pray this morning for every family in Creaselock this morning who are suffering and mourning loss this morning. Father, we pray that the God of you, the God of all comfort, right now, through your Holy Spirit, would minister into every one of those families, Lord, into their pain, into their loss. I'm sure they're devastated, most of them. And Father, we pray this morning that they would know a supernatural sense of your peace and your love over them, Lord. Right now, at this moment, as we sit here in Belfast, Lord, we thank you that you are moving. Lord, today, there's going to be people coming across those families, working with them. Father, I pray that they would be anointed to speak words of healing, to bring the presence of Jesus right into the middle of those situations, Father. And we pray that you would heal their hearts. Lord, we pray for everyone who's been involved in that, Lord, the, the police, the guards, the fire service, everyone, Lord, even seeing those tough and hardened men, emotional, you know, as they were describing what had happened, Father, we pray that even in their minds and memories, Lord, you would heal them, Lord, you would comfort them. And Father, in the days and weeks to come, Lord, that there would be, um, Lord, such a, such a sense of your presence around that place. Lord, just every day, Father, as you minister into the lives of the people who have suffered lost this this weekend father and we pray this together in jesus name knowing that you are faithful to every word lord you're faithful to every word and all god's people said amen, amen. okay so continue to pray for for those families and stuff because that that is a, an, an absolutely awful situation anyone who's been to dunfanning here in north you i i, I kind of know creaselock you know most because you drive through it and uh yeah shocking absolutely shocking so uh, right, let's go. Ikea furniture out of my head, Lord. Um, do you know, during worship, I was going, I know I should be singing about the cross, but I'm just going, oh, flipping Nora, I can see screwdrivers and do I have the right drills? And how much would it cost me to get somebody? Do you know what I mean? And so I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It actually drives me to distraction. Do you know, anyone with me? Awful, awful. Even the thought of it's put me in bad. Let's just talk about, you know, puts Penny in even worse form. So, right, shall we go? Because we're, we're looking at what happens whenever you make a mess. And uh, <laughs> it's so good, isn't it? I'm preaching to myself. The Lord gave me this sermon before he knew that, he were, that, that slabber was going to cancel on me. So in 1 Peter 1.13, it says, In these days, right, set your hope fully where? On the grace that is brought to you when you see Jesus. That's what 1 Peter 1.13 says. It's a reminder for us in these days that there's lots of stuff that is difficult. There's lots of stuff that is hard. There's lots of challenges that we all have. And we are tempted to put our faith, our security, our hope for today and for tomorrow into lots of different things. And yet we have a reminder here from the word of God is like, set your hope where? Set it fully on grace that comes to you when you see Jesus. Now, grace means the unearned, undeserved favor of God in your life. It's unmerited. There's nothing you can do. It is a gift that you receive simply by believing every day that God loves you and that he's good to you. And you can't, do, you can't earn it in any way. And what happens is we, we see that, right? And we go, yes, okay, I'm gonna set my hope fully on grace. And then what happens is 
you know, you, you probably say that to yourself in the morning before you get out of bed, and then before you've actually got out of bed, you've made a mess of something already, you know, you've thought something, or you're angry, or you bite at the kids, or you bite at whoever, do you know, or any, or is that just me? It's probably just me, okay, I get that. And that's what happens, and you go, flipping, Nora, I've just, I've, I've failed. I'm not setting my hope, I'm just, you know, this continual reminder that we can't get it right. Anyone? Yeah, that's life, isn't it? And so what happens is, We've got to have a grid or reference, or we've got to know what the word says. God, how God treats us and looks at us, how God is faithful to us, even when we are completely bonkers. Do you get that? Because if you don't have that, then your view and your idea of God will be so up and down as to be absolutely, you know, it'll lead you to a complete place of insecurity. And religion will do that to you. When I say religion, I don't mean organized gatherings like this. What I mean is the, the mindset or the heart set actually that says that my, my behavior, my effort, my performance, uh, you know, that I am loved by God, blessed by God, and favored by God, directly proportional to my amount of effort. So, you know, for many of us, you know, who have grown up in Northern Ireland, we know what that's like. You know, it's, uh, I've told the stories many times of me every Wednesday night coming back from the meeting, the, the children's meeting, with the child catcher from Wizard of Oz, basically there, or whatever that film was, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, remember that one? Awful, right? And uh, dangling me over hell, you know, and I could feel the flames lapping up, and so I used to lie on my bed and go, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. And if I said it enough, how many God forgive me's do I need for this week? Oh, flipping loads of them. Just keep going. And if I kept saying, God forgive me, God forgive me, then hopefully at some point, like the tipping point goes in my favor and God says, you've done enough, well done. Rest easy. If I come back tonight, I'll take you with me, which was always my fear that he's gonna come back and go, you, 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 nah, you, you, nah. Do you know what I mean? And then you'll be left in some kind of Mad Max dystopian world where you're gonna have to like, like, cats and things because Jesus has left you behind because you just have to say a couple of naughty words. This is the crazy stuff of a 10-year-old's head. Do you know what I mean? Or is that just, have I just laid it out a wee bit too clearly, right? This is what kept me awake when I was 10, when I was 11, all right? And it's because it's all about me. It is all about me and what I'm doing. And I know, as you all know about you, so stop pretending that you're any better than me, that on any particular day, you mess it up. Anybody? You're not patient, you're not kind, you're not loving. You're not this, you're not that, you're not the other. Really? Is that too hard? Keep preaching this message, Pastor, it's absolutely brilliant. You are failures, amen, all right? But we know that instinctively about ourselves. And then, when, and then how can you set your hope fully on God's goodness whenever all you do is get it wrong? Not all the time, but most of the time, all right? You might have a good few days, have a nice wee run, but remember, it's not just the sins that you don't do, all right, or the sins that you do, it's the, sin, it's the stuff that you forget to do, the good that you forget to do, the, the Bible calls. I mean, you, you're stuffed everywhere you look at this thing. And so what, what, this is why I love the grace of God. This is why I love a revelation of the new covenant work of Jesus because the, the whole emphasis changes from you to him. Your goodness, no, his goodness. Your faithfulness, no, his faithfulness. Your loyalty, his loyalty. Every time that the journey is not like, what am I doing for God? It's understanding what he has done for me and going deeper and further into that to sit in that place, that posture of receiving grace upon grace. And what happens is, John, I mean, it says the whole way through the Bible, if you sit in that place and you receive, then what happens is fruit comes in your life. The same life that's in Jesus flows in through you and you are more holy by accident than you ever are on purpose. 
Isn't that incredible? And so, so that's, what, that's what it means. Now, I, 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 said, uh, I said last week, Exodus 34 um, is a brilliant, it's the first time that God's character is really laid out in the Bible. And I, I used the first two words last week. And I want to give you the second two words this week because it's a description of, uh, the first description of God's character in the most quoted passage in the Bible. Because uh, in, the, in the two verses in uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, you learn that God's actions, and I said this last week, are, an, are a reflection of who he is, his attributes. Grace, patience, loyal love, and faithfulness. And so the Lord never ever acts in your life contrary to who he is. And so what's going on here is, is brilliant because what you have is God, you, this week, whenever you get it wrong, right, or you don't feel like you're good enough or you feel like you're not as good as somebody else, have these verses in your head and say them to yourself because what happens here is God, it's this picture of God and God says these things about himself towards us because he's right in the middle he's right in the middle of doing a deal with people that's what's happening right now so in Exodus 34 and they're in Mount Sinai and what happens is God is formalizing the covenant relationship the partnership between him and his people I'll be God you'll be my people this is what it's going to look like right and so because they they say because there's something in us that goes I can earn this what happens is the people go, just give me whatever you want, God, and I'll do it. And so he says the first thing, well, okay, don't have any other gods before me. Fair enough. They go, brilliant. Then they kind of turn, turn away from that. And literally in the next moment, they build a calf out of gold and they start to worship it. I mean, they completely screw it up at point one. They don't even get out of first gear. I don't even get the ignition switched on. Do I use the analogy? They're going, brilliant, we can do that. <laughs> Failure completely. And you think the Lord would be going, oh, I'm going to slap a life out of them, honestly. They're doing my head in. I haven't even got, haven't even got the, the other nine out. I'm going to give you 10 things. You can't even do the first one. Remember, I need to be careful because my parents are here, but remember that when you used to get slapped on every syllable. Don't you dare do that at all, right? <laughs> You're thinking, I hope this is not a long sentence because I'm getting slapped on every... Did you hear me? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> this is hurting me more. No, it's not. Stop it. <laughs> I kind of get that view. That's what God was doing. Like, oh my word. You, we, oh. Do you know what I mean? But he's not actually. He's not. Right in the middle of it, as God is trying to say, I'm going to protect you and look after you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to set you up to show you my glory. Remember in Exodus 9? And so the nations will see me through you. You're going to be protected, blessed. You're going to be healthy and whole. You're going to be fit. You're going to, people are going to look at you and go, what is it about them? And they're going to see me in you. That's the deal that, that God's setting up. We can see that mirrored in grace today. And they fail. Because... That's what we do, right? And so what happens is we, it, what religion will do in those moments is say, now what are you gonna do to get it back? But we need to listen to the heart of God in the middle of our failure to see Jesus and who he is. Why? Because it's the only thing that will lift you up and give you hope for today and for tomorrow. And so that's what Exodus 34 is all about. You know, and they fall at the first hurdle. I love this. You know, what, you know for them, it was a golden calf, which seems fairly biblical to be fair. For us, you know, it's, it's about that place of trust. What God was saying at the first part is, are you going to trust me? That's what the whole thing, if I have nothing before me, it's like, do you really trust me with your life? 
Do you really? Because everything else that's going to come will not work unless you have me first and foremost as your, your sense of security, as your sense of peace, as your sense of wholeness, to see me as your provider, to see me as your provision. All of that comes from a place of trust. So can we, can we establish trust first? And the people go, yeah, uh, no. What? No, we can't. I'd love to, but no. Now for us today, if you have a golden calf that you bow down to, fair play to you, weirdo. Most of us in real life don't have golden calves, like literal ones, all right? We have things like money. We have reputation. We've got ministry, education, jobs, whatever. But there's any number of things that take the place of functional gods in our life. Uh, not gods in the true sense of it, but they function as that for us at any particular time. And so what is God gonna do with us? When we're so rebellious at times, what happens? Remember I said last week, this is the beautiful thing about the way Jesus loves you today. At the very moment where you are failing, grace is reaching out for you. Every time, without exception. At the point where you fall, he lifts you up. At the point where you sink, remember Peter, he reaches his hand to lift you back up. Why? Because he's good. Every time. And think about that for yourself today. When you're failing, Jesus is actually revealing grace to you. He's not telling you that you're wrong. And that, those five things, the five things of grace, are revealed in these verses. Shall we read them? Because I want to do the second two today. Is that all right? Hmm. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses, this is God, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. So last week we did compassionate and gracious God. This week it's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And then I covered off the last bit of that verse last week. So gracious, compassionate and gracious. So what do you remind yourself of? What goes through your head at the point where you go, God, I really need you. I have messed it up again or I'm not where I should be. You know all the stuff that we always think, I'm not where I should be. You know, praise God, I've left where I was, but I'm not. This kind of feeling like we're always almost like living in, in, in Tomorrowland, right? You get that? Do you know what that means? So he's gracious and he's compassionate and gracious last week. But this thing of slow to anger is really interesting. It's a nuance in the Bible. I want to look at this third phrase. God is slow to anger. Now, this is a really important one because most people today, if you were to ask most people, particularly from our Northern Ireland, and I know we've got people from lots of different nations here, but if ask people mostly who don't, no God, or even people who have been brought up in religion, God is angry, man, isn't he? Like, he just cannot wait to get you. Like, he is hanging, just waiting. He's bitter, probably, and just waiting to kill you. He just cannot wait, all right? Because mostly what people think about God is he's quick to anger, mostly angry most of the time, striking down people. Can't wait to strike down people for sin. That's it, you know? And God's anger in the Bible, though, is way more nuanced than that. There's way more to it. And under grace, particularly, we need to have a much better understanding of God's anger. Particularly, if you ask me why, not to be careful of it so that you don't fall back under law, actually, is, is the real point of it. So in Hebrew, there's a phrase, slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger. And it's, it's I'll, pronounce, I'll try to pronounce it in Hebrew, right? It's erech apheim. And do you know what that literally means? It's quite funny. It means to have a long nose, Right? So what, what does God being patient have to do with a long nose? Dun, dun, dun. I have no idea. I'm only joking, I do. And, uh, but that's what it means, right? 
So there's, so there's a common biblical Hebrew way to say that someone is angry. And literally what they say is their nose burned hot, right? Now go with me on this, it's really good. So it's like in the story of Joseph, remember, where Potiphar um, thinks that, that Joseph has slept with his wife. It actually says literally in Hebrew that Potiphar's nose burned hot, right? Oh, right? And it's usually translated, so we don't translate it into English as his nose burning hot, we just translate it as his anger burned. And do you know what it is? It's described, and do you know when you get angry, how your face starts to go flush and starts to go red? For those of you who are just so chilled, and man, I'm never angry. Don't know what you mean, I'm just so full of Jesus. I don't know what it means to be angry. Right, well, the normal people amongst us know what it's like to feel angry at times. You start to go red, don't you? You get flushed, and uh, particularly as you start to get tense. And as you start to get more angry, you see the physical manifestation of it. And so in Hebrew then, the main words for anger are either nose, heat, or hot nose, which is really, I just find this really funny. So that's why a patient person is called long of nose, because it takes a long time for them to get hot. So there's a, there's, you see it through Proverbs. Like if you start to look at this, you can go down a rabbit hole off it. A person's wisdom is their long nose is what it literally translates it, right? Is what it, but it just means they're slow to anger. Now, here's what's interesting. When this is applied to God, and you see God getting angry many times, but God doesn't have a nose and he doesn't get hot, right? We understand that. They're metaphors that use our experience of anger to kind of express how God feels whenever he sees evil. So in the story of Exodus, as an example, you see God confronting Moses. God sends Moses to confront um, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's given how many goes? Ten goes to let the people go free. And you know, after the 10th refusal, Pharaoh rides out and, and God will destroy him in the waters. But actually what's, what happens is it's really slow. So when it comes to God's anger, what we need to understand is Sometimes we think, right at the moment where we fail, God's anger's there in a, in a heartbeat. Do you get that? Almost like a mousetrap. You know, it's that kind of thing, if you, if you put your hand into a mousetrap, don't recommend you do, right? It's like at the point where you touch, bang, it's right there. You know, like, well, in the school that I went to, like uh, with rulers, you know, that, and you go, where'd that come from? You know, <laughs> teachers with eyes in the back of their head. I was brought up, and I tell my kids this to scare them. Like when daddy was at school, he used to slap you, right? But you know that thing of like out of nowhere, and you go, flip me. It's like God, like God just cannot wait for the moment where you've screwed it up to bang to get you. Even under the covenant, the law covenant here that God's trying to establish, he's slow to anger. Do you get that? He's not quick to be angry with you about anything, even now, even more so under grace, I'm gonna show you that. His whole attribute is he is, he is of long nose. He is, of, he is slow to get angry. What that means is, instead of going like that, what he, do, he does is he just lifts it up and goes, go again, try again. And you put your hand back, try again. And he will give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity, after opportunity. Why? Because he never runs out of opportunities for you to pick yourself up in grace and go again. He's slow to get angry. Don't think for one minute he's out to get you. He's not. 
It's like this attribute of God's anger. In fact, under grace, I'm going to show you in a minute because I just want you to even see, like some people go, like, like God is holding it back. He just can't wait. No, he's not. Even with his own people before grace, before the law as well, he was just, you know, time after time after time after time, willing them, giving them opportunity after opportunity. For some of you this morning, when I was preparing, what I felt the Lord say was, you've got more chances and more opportunities in front of you than what you've ever had gone before. Do you hear me? Because the enemy will tell you, you messed it up, and now God's angry. He showed you time and time again what to do, and you still couldn't fulfill it. Your ticket is marked. Your coupon is stamped, whatever way you want to put it. And the Lord goes, no, 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 no. When you mess it up, I am not willing, right, to jump on you and be angry with you. I am slow to that. Do you get that? And my anger is not even towards you. My anger is towards sin and evil, which destroys you. That's the new covenant. I'll come to that in a moment. But I just want to really encourage you in this. Like in that moment, because I know that I grew up, honestly, even in the the charismatic circles, going, you know, like standing, repenting time and time and time again for stuff. Like, and Lord, pour out your spirit. We repent and da-da-da. And it's almost like the sense of that. Look, if you do that, that's fine. But what's the sense of, what God are you coming? You come to an angry God who needs to be appeased, like some kind of, you know, what do you call him, Temple of Doom, you know. That's the one, do you know what? Where they have to make the sacrifices, all right? Because something needs to be appeased. I'm struggling this, do you know what it's? Ikea, it's in my head, right? <laughs> Ikea. <laughs> have we a glass of wine? Maybe that'll get me started, I'll be all right. Oh, <gasps> I said in church, those years shocked. Or I'll give the kids a glass of wine and penny. That'll, either way, either way, there's going to be wine, right? <laughs> to get this flipping thing built. <gasps> That's all right. It's for, the, it's for the wee one's birthday. It's her, anyway. But it's that thing of going, you know, like, just think this week, whenever you, you are doing whatever you do, that God's not quick. He's not quick to, to be angry with you or disappointed with you. And all I'm doing is showing you who he is. Now, let's look at what that looks like in the new covenant of God's grace, all right? Because, like, the Israelites, my goodness, just look at them, over and over again for hundreds of years, they keep betraying God. The God who rescues them from slavery, they keep betraying him. And they give, like, he gave them so many chances to turn around, right? But they kept giving their allegiance to other gods, kept giving it all the wrong way. And at times... You know, you read that God's anger burned against the Israelites, but what always goes after that is his faithfulness to give them another chance. See, one of the things that I think we've even lost under grace is the fact that God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth. There is no number of second chances for you. That doesn't even make sense. Do you get that? Every single day, his steadfast love is new for you. Now, this, this attribute of, of, of long-nosedness, right? right? It's like, well, how, how does, what does that look like in the New Testament? Well, Paul says in his letter, if you go into Paul and his epistle of grace in, in, in Romans, he says that God's anger is being revealed against human evil. And he says at the start, this is three times, look, this is what this looks like, right? And so what happens is that God's anger is not directed towards people. It's directed towards the sin and the mess, 
that we get ourselves into. That's what makes God angry. But he loves you in the middle of it. Do you get that? We sometimes have confused those or put those two things together. Sin makes God angry. Why? Because he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to be in that place and in that mess. And so actually in the New Testament, when you read, when you read Paul in that epistle, you see that God's anger burns towards all of that stuff. And what's interesting is that, that like, God's not content just to let us sit in that. That's why he sent Jesus. Like in our own self-destruction throughout the Bible, God is always on a mission to rescue us, always on a mission to make things better for us. And so what happens is, you know, the people who are hell-bent on destruction and taking the consequences of their decisions upon themselves, Jesus goes for us. He goes in our place and he stands there and goes, all of that destruction, all of that mess, all of that whatever that you're putting on yourself, God is angry, but not at you. He's angry at that mess. So let me take that mess for you so that you can live free. Can I say this? Not His attribute is slow to anger, not angry God waiting to get you, but now even on, so that's who God is, but now under grace, his anger is totally satisfied towards you. Can I say that again? His anger is totally satisfied when it comes to you, if you are in Christ this morning. Every bit of wrath, every bit of anger, every bit of oh, was put on to Jesus for you and Jesus took it willingly for you. So don't think for one moment the traps come down and he's, it's got you. And the Lord goes, well, do you know what? You flip and plonker how many times? Do you, do you know what? Do you, how, how do you know that you think that? How do you know that that's an issue in your heart? Well, let me tell you what I think it looks like. I think it looks like what happens, not so much, what happens straight after you fail? Where do you turn? Do you turn toward, to God or away from God? Do you turn with a heart full of faith to go, thank you, Jesus, you love me. Let's go again. Or do you turn into yourself or worse, turn away from God because you feel ashamed? That'll tell you whether or not you think God's angry or not. Because you'll always turn away from somebody who's angry. But if God's not, if we have a heart that says God's not angry with me, then what we'll do is we'll turn to him. And so you can take that to the Lord. Is that okay? Does that make sense? I just really want you to know he's slow to anger. This view that we have that he's quick at it, he's not. He's always been slow to anger, always given multiple chances over and over and over and over and over again. How much more under grace do you have as many chances? Do you know what, how many chances you have? As many as you need. Some of you will need more than others. That's grace. But Lord, I should be better than this. No, well, I should know better by this stage. Well, you probably should, but it doesn't matter anyway. Wouldn't it be great if you knew better by this stage? Sure, won't we all be brilliant when we grow up? Anybody? I think I'll be brilliant when I grow up. Go again. In that moment, turn your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, you're slow to anger. I go again. I go again. And then he says, slow to anger. And he says, abounding in love. Is this okay? Are you feeling encouraged? Okay, this, this, this phrase is loyal love. It's really interesting. It's a word called, a word called chesed. In, um, and so I thought, what, see loyalty, when you hear God being loyal to you, I kind of thought, we don't, I, I, when I thought about this during the week, I thought, I don't have a clue what loyalty looks like. Frankly, see it my wife, right? And so a very small group of people around me. But for the most part, don't most of us struggle with loyalty because you don't really ever see it. 
People are essentially loyal to themselves or loyal to, particularly in today's world, loyal to what they're feeling in any particular moment. Right? And so, oh, I've lost count of the number of people who said to us in this church, we will follow you forever. Jesus, I mean, not me. But this church, God's called me here till the day that I die. Well, brackets, until I get offended, right? And then once I get offended, I'm out of here. Why? Because the Lord's telling me. It's incredible how we hear the Lord so clearly as he speaks into our offense about other people. But he doesn't speak to us that clearly about giving or like laying down your life or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I'll follow you forever. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Bring me here. And then, I don't know who that voice was. Kermit the Frog, right? And then it's just a generic one. And then they're out. And they can even do like, but so loyalty for me, I, I, I have to say, this really caused me an issue when I, this week when I looked at it. Because I thought, Lord, I have no clue, really. Penny's dead loyal. Right, so you look at your close relationships, family, that kind of stuff. But loyalty, what does it even mean? Particularly in today's world. Because my view of loyalty needs, and loyal love needs to be reformed here, Lord, because it's a bit like God loves me. And then if your only experience of love is like conditional, then it's really hard to figure out what that looks like. So I went to look at what, do you know, anyone know what loyal, loyalty means? No, well, here's a definition. Loyalty is faithfulness. Uh, not just, well, it's, loyalty is faithfulness, being faithful in all of your promises, keeping your word. This isn't even from the Bible. This is just some random on the internet going, what does it look like in a relationship? Following through on your plans and sticking with your partner in this till the end. Loyalty is steadfastness, knowing that you can rely on each other. And I was going, I actually don't really understand. I don't get that. Can I be honest with you? I read that this week and go, I don't really understand that. Because actually what I have found, particularly in leading the church, is more disloyalty as a general trend than loyalty. And then I kind of realized that's coloring my view of the way that God loves me. Right? I'll be with you forever. I don't believe you. Frankly, I don't. I've got issues. I've got trust issues. I've got trust issues. This was a moment. I have trust issues. So I think we all do though, don't we? And so what happens whenever God comes to you and says, I have got loyal love? I was like, flip me, Lord, I need to know. So let me just tell you this. This phrase, loyal love, right, is a Hebrew word, chesed, and it's K-H-E-S-E-D. And it's a really tricky word. Do you know why? There's no word in English for it. And this word is the whole way through the Old Testament, and it's actually in the New Testament as well, and it combines all of these different ideas, but in English, we don't have a word for it. So chesed is really interesting, and yet you're, you'll see, I'm just going to show you it in the Bible, but this thing of God steadfastly every day being faithful to promise, right? In, remember the context of when God is saying this, you're messing it up, and as they're messing it up, he is speaking this over them. I'm compassionate and gracious, I'm slow to anger, and I'm abounding in love, or chesed, loyal love. And what it means is it's this idea of love, generosity, faithfulness, commitment, lots of different words all coming into one. And it's this, it describes, I guess, if you look at it where it's in the Bible, it describes an act of keeping loyalty. And it's motivated in human beings in deep personal care. You see it really clearly in the story of Ruth, okay? So in the story of Ruth as a foreigner, she's married to an Israelite. Uh, he dies, remember that story, uh, along with her brother and her father. So Ruth is just left with Naomi. You all know your Bibles, uh, who's her mother-in-law. Naomi, right, has nothing. There is nothing in Naomi that will ever do Ruth any good. In fact, she's a liability for Ruth because she's got this oil, don't know who she has to look after. Let me put it in Belfast talk for you, all right? 
Not only does Ruth have to look after herself, she's got to look after her. Now, what would be most common in those days would be to jettison her and leave her. Do I trust you with the Lord to look after you? No way, Christian. I'll be praying for you. On you go, love. I'm away, right? I'm praying for you. You know that when people say, I'm praying for you? They're not, all right? Just let's get that out there most of the time. And uh, so what happens is, Ruth, that's, that's what most people would have done, but, but Ruth doesn't do that. You know, Naomi actually says, Ruth, go back to your people, love. Don't be, don't be listen, I, I'm, I'm a goner. And, uh, but Ruth doesn't do it. Ruth promises to stay by Naomi's side and care for her, right? And all these other people, they watch Ruth be steadfast and faithful when there's nothing in it for her. And in the Bible, they call that chesed. They witness it. They see it, right? If you keep on going, like, what's, what's interesting, if you look at that story, like, Ruth's chesed is, is not conditioned, it's not conditional. It's not based on Naomi's worth. Rather, that chesed is what? It's an expression of Ruth's character, who she is. She is generous and loving. She keeps her word. And that's what the Bible calls chesed. Now, that's really inspiring, right? But the, the ultimate expression of chesed or, or, or of enduring chesed is what it's actually called in the Bible is God himself. Like think about Jacob. I was just thinking about different stories where you can see what loyal God's loyal love looks like to people who mess it up. Remember Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those three guys, right? Jacob was an absolute liar. Remember this? Like a real treacherous liar at that. Even to his own family. Like just think about that. You think you're bad. This guy really screwed over his own family. He was treacherous with it, right? And what's amazing is even though he is that bad, God still chooses him. Somebody say amen, all right? And God, what does he do? God chooses him and he repeats the promise that he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. What was that? You're gonna have a big family. You're gonna be blessed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And God will restore, he, say, he promised over Jacob, I'm gonna restore my blessing that I promised to Abraham through you. And the guy is a liar through and through selfish to the core, cutting his family to pieces. And God says, I choose you and I choose my promise over you because I gave you that promise through Abraham. Now, what happens is this, about 20 years later, isn't it? Jacob has that moment, remember where he realizes and he says to God, I'm not worthy of what? Of all the chesed you have shown me. That's the word that Jacob uses when it comes to God. And he's right you see, God's chesed was never about Jacob's worth in the first place. It was a display of what? God's generous loyalty to what? His promise. His loyalty towards what? Who he is. And the chesed continues into the story of Jacob's descendants, the Israelites. When they're enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, God remembered his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So God defeats Egypt and raises up Moses to get the people out of the land, right? And when you talk to Hebrew people today, Hebrew scholars, they'll go, that is the chesed of God. He is loyal to his promise. He is faithful to his promise to you. He is not welshing on the deal. He is not backing out of it. We have no clue what true loyalty looks like until we go to God who says, no matter if you're a treacherous liar, screwing over your family, not walking with me, doing whatever, I will never be disloyal to the promise that I spoke over you. Why? Because that's who I am for you. I love you. Abounding in love, abounding in chesed. You can keep going in the Bible on this, okay? Whenever you get to uh, 
Isn't it um, Hosea? It is Hosea. I've written that down, and I'm nearly sure it is because I did read it. Uh, he, he describes like the chesed of God as like a morning mist, right? And, uh, but in Psalm 136, this is a brilliant verse to go and read. It opens by saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then what does it repeat 26 times through? His love endures forever. His chesed endures forever. It was this thing of under, I just want you to understand today. God is so loyal. Loyal to you in the moment of your mess. His love endures forever. And it's something that we, we have no real clue. We have no grid for loyalty until we go to God and we go, that's what it looks like. We don't even have the words for it. Do you know, we don't, you know what the reason why we don't have the words for it in English? We don't have a word that translates because it's so flipping brilliant. It's like, how do you describe a love that meets me at my, my worst, my insecurity, meets me at my failure, meets me at my repeated mistakes? How on earth could we ever describe that? A love that never is changed one bit by what's happening with me, but is constant because of who he is to me. That's chesed. He abounds in it. Loyal love. Isn't that cool? Is anyone encouraged this morning? That's yeah, good. Now, let me just finish by saying this because it's absolutely roasting in here. Has anyone noticed that? I tell you, no cost of living crisis in this church. Isn't that awesome? Bring a jumper next week, that's all I'm saying. It's funny that um, in the new covenant of God's grace, Jesus is actually God's chesed. After centuries of Israel and people just betraying God, right? Just get this. I, 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 I just think this is incredible. Literally century after century of, of man's failure doesn't change one bit. God's promise to rescue his people. So what does he do? He sends Jesus. The embodiment of his loyal promise to us that he would deliver us. That's just amazing to me. So Jesus steps in. If you want to know what loyal love looks like, it's in the New Testament, it's Jesus. And uh, that's why whenever people followed him, they encountered, remember they say they encountered the God of Israel and he was what? Jesus is described as full of loyal love and faithfulness. All right, you can go and read it for yourself. So he's the ultimate loyal and loving human being. And in that place, that's now where we stand. We stand in his loyal love and his faithfulness for us. I hope you're encouraged this morning because honestly, that's what it means. What, do you, what, do you, what does it mean to set your hope fully on God's grace? You set your hope fully on God's grace that in the moment of your worst failure or the moment of repeated failure or habitual stuff, whatever it happens to be, that in that moment, if your heart will respond with he's compassionate and he's gracious, he's slow to anger and he is so loyal to me, that thing didn't, whatever it is, didn't change his love for you in any way. Didn't change his heart for you in any way. Didn't change his plan for you in any way. Didn't change his purpose for you in any way. He is consistent and faithful and loyal to you. And his chesed is for the generations. You know in Lamentations, where it says, 
The steadfast chesed of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Amen? Hey, church, you know what? I think that's a flipping great word. I think we need to receive that this morning, rest in it, and go. Because when you receive that word, okay, let me tell you what happens. Instead of bumping back under law to go, now what I do to fix, what I do to get better, what I do to change, right? In that moment of simply receiving that, that message of God's grace, he's working. He's working in you and he's working around you. He's bringing about his promise for you. He's working in your family. He's working in your business. He's working in your finance and your health, okay? Never take your eyes off the one who's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Never take your eyes off him. Because it's so counterintuitive to the legalism that sits in our hearts. I made a mess, I need to pay. No, the price was paid. You made a mess, you need to sit and you need to receive. And in that place of receiving God's goodness and seeing him work, and then you, your heart develops even more for Jesus, your grace is amazing. And you start to live more holy than what you've ever done before. Isn't, isn't his grace amazing? It's scandalous, in fact. Close your eyes for a minute, ladies, if you want to get ready to come up. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your loyal love for us. Father, we thank you this morning that this reminder of this verse, Lord, of who you are, is a word right for us today. Your faithfulness, being faithful to every promise, you keep your word, Lord. You follow through on your plans. You stick with us, Lord, till the very end. You're steadfast, Lord, and even though many times, Lord, you can't rely on us, we can totally rely on you. And that's grace. Father, I thank you for, uh, in this place this morning, for freeing people from the burden of performance, from the burden of effort, not because it makes us lazy, Lord, but everything we do and the work that we do, Lord, we want to live as in a response to the revelation of Jesus in our lives. Lord, I thank you that grace doesn't make us lazy, Lord, but it positions us and postures us for blessing. And Father, when we walk from that place, I pray over every heart this morning that has been under the weight of an angry God, saying with our mouths, yeah, Lord, I know that you love me, but I don't have the confidence to turn to you in the very moment of my failure. I don't have that confidence because th there's something in me just goes, you're still angry. I pray this morning, Jesus, a revelation in every heart that you're slow to anger, that you are loyal to your promise, that you stick to your promise, you stick to your guns, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're not moved in any way by us and how we do on any particular day, but you are sure and steadfast. You are compassionate and gracious, consistent to every promise, Lord. Lord, we throw ourselves fully onto that truth today. Lord, knowing that from that place, right, from that place, Lord, everything else in our lives flows. Provision, health, safety, security, patience, everything we need flows from being that, in that place of trust and dependence on you, Lord. 
for those of us who think this is too good to be true, Father, I just pray that there would be a, a, a revelation, Holy Spirit, that you would guide people in this place and online in the truth. Holy Spirit, that you would show them, as you said you would do, you would guide us in truth. I pray that you would, this week, each one of you, as you come to the word again, as you listen, that you would see Jesus more clearly. You would see his love more clearly. You would see his grace more clearly. That your revelation would deepen and your heart would deepen. I love for the Lord. I pray that even if some of you make a start today just to go flip, that sounds brilliant. I don't know how to work it out. The Lord says you don't need to work it out. Just let me love on you today. Some of you just need to surrender as well and say, I'm, Lord, you know, like let, let me be honest. I, I, I am a, an A-type personality. I like to do things. I like to get things done. I like to work hard. That's who I am, right? And I don't think the Lord's saying particularly anything about that, right? But what he is saying to us all about is, you know, in the middle of that, you know, don't be doing any of that stuff because you feel like you have to, because if you don't, then I won't move. He will move for you. He will bless you because he's loyal and you can depend on him. And the more you sink into that truth, the more you fall in, harpoo, remember that rest in God, that Hebrew word harpoo means just to, to fall into the arms of grace. Actually, you know, you'll find yourself probably doing more, experiencing more, seeing more, stewarding the blessing of God in your life is what I would say. So Father, I pray that over every person here, over every life, over every family, for our family who aren't here this morning, Lord, as well. We pray that. Jesus, we thank you for your, your love. Thank you, Father, slow to anger, abounding in his head. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand our feet? We're going to take uh, communion together. Are we good? It's okay. You can shake yourself off a wee bit. And uh, thank you, darling. And... Let's uh, remember when we come to communion, we're looking, we're, make sure your eyes are on what Jesus did and not what you have done. That's the whole point of this. Uh, you know, in the early church, they gathered around the breaking of bread, actually, and, and the word. And that's what they did and, and continually reminded themselves of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so, Father, we take this uh, bread in our hands, Lord, this wafer, and we thank you, Lord, that your body was broken. Jesus, you were scourged, Lord, and... and uh, Father, punished and beaten for us, Lord, so that we could be well. Lord, and we say thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us. Thank you, Lord, for health. I speak health and wholeness and completeness from the top of your head all the way down to the tips of your feet right now in Jesus' name. Father, thank you as well for your blood poured out. Thank you, Father, that your blood has set us free. Lord, free from every curse, every accusation, every pointing finger, Lord, every debt. Yeah, it's just such an amazing sacrifice. We love you, Jesus. And so we say thank you for pouring your blood out for us. Thank you, Father, that everyone here this morning who is in Christ, Lord, knows in this moment that we are completely free indeed. You've set us really free, inside out freedom. And so we say thank you, Lord, we receive.